So um, welcome everyone to the Guardians of the Flame podcast. Um, today we are in the Kilbrony Valley, which is a valley just above the village of Ross Trevor, right on the Irish border at the foot of the Mourne Mountains. And we're in the Holy Cross Monastery, which is a Benedictine monastery, um, only built uh, recently. Um, and we're with uh, Brother Thierry. He's one of the, uh, the monks here, one of the brothers of the community. Um, Brother Thierry is from France. Um, we regularly bring groups of people up here to meet Thierry and also Father Mark, who's the prior of the community. Um, if you've seen the film Guardians of the Flame, Father Mark was interviewed during that. Um, and this is just a very special place. Uh, outside the monastery is emblazoned the words, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, which maybe we can talk about that a bit later. But it's, it expresses a very clear sense that this monastery um, has a desire to be a place where all are welcomed uh, and where there's unity and oneness um, and it's a place of reconciliation. And many hundreds of people come through these doors every year. And many are Protestant as well as Catholic. So it's not, in fact, yeah, large numbers of Protestants are now coming to a Catholic monastery, uh, which is actually, a, wouldn't have happened probably 30 years ago. But it's a sign of how Ireland has changed, Northern Ireland has changed. And it's also a sign of um, how well the brothers here are received and how important their message is. Um, and I would say of all the places in Ireland right now, this is one of those holy places where people really come and they experience God in a very real way. Um, so it's a privilege to be talking to you, Brother Thierry. Uh, thanks for having us. Good morning. You're very welcome. Um, I wonder if we could just start by you telling us a little bit about your story. Um, like you're from Paris, um, how did you become a monk? How did you, how, what was your conversion? Like, how did you, what was your faith? How did that become a life? So I, I, I was born uh, 53 years ago in Paris uh, in a family where there was no religion. Uh, there was the label Catholic, but uh, it was an empty teen. My parents uh, uh, are not married in church and my younger brother is not baptized so I was baptized because my grandmother was Italian um, and on my mother's side, and she was very Catholic. And when I was born, she said, he will be baptized. So that's why I was baptized. But it meant nothing to my parents. Um, we were sent to Catholic schools, not because of Catholic, but because in France it's a private education. You pay for it. It's supposedly good education. Um, it was good education for me. Uh, and I was 16 when uh, a teacher spoke to us about a youth gathering organized by the Catholic Church. Uh, five days, 2,000 young people from Paris and around Paris, between 15 and 18. Um, and my best friend decided to go. And, and I said, why not? Let's go and see. Um, for, for me, uh, the, the big question when I was 15, 16 was, how can I be happy? Uh, I, I had a quite, as far as it is possible, normal childhood. But I mean, I, I, it was clear to me that my parents were not uh, happy people. Uh, and, uh, and so for me, it was a very uh, big and important question. How can I be happy? And so I went to this youth gathering with this question, and I was really struck and, and impressed by, by the, the joy, the, the enthusiasm of the young people. And, and, and I came back from the youth gathering, and I went to see the headmistress of my school, who was a nun, and I said to her, who is Jesus Christ? What is the church? And she said, go and see a priest in your parish, and it's what I did. And, uh, and this priest, this man became... Uh, uh, really a, a spiritual father, and he and he helped me to meet Christ and to fall in love with Christ, and um, and I made my first communion. I was seventeen, and uh, on the day of my first communion, I was so grateful to God and so um, so happy that I said to God, uh, "What can I give you back?" And and the answer I got during the service was, uh, "Give your life." And I remember after the service, I went to see the priest and my parents, and I said, I want to give my life to God. I knew nothing about monastic life or whatever, you know, it was just 
that was the point for me. Just, I want to give my life to God. And uh, they said, uh, we'll see later, uh, go to university. And we, and it's what I did. I went to university in Paris. I studied French literature. And I really loved it. Um, I was involved in the chaplaincy in the parish and doing many things. Um, deep within me, there was this... Uh, this feeling, this intuition, it's not enough, Thierry. You have to give your life to God if you want to be happy. And so I, I, I thought first, maybe God wants me to be a priest. And so I, I joined a, a seminary. And at the same time, I discovered monastic life because I went on retreat to a Benedictine monastery of sisters. And, and they are very courageous sisters. Uh, the service here we have at 830 uh, they have it at 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, so every night at 2 o'clock, they get up and for a service, one hour singing psalms and reading scriptures. And when I, when, I, when I saw that, I thought, my goodness me, either they are crazy or it's very important. Uh, and I did it with them, and I discovered that prayer is important and that prayer can shape a life, can give meaning to a life, and so at the end uh, of, of a year as a seminarian, I decided to, the plan was to continue. But during the summer, I decided to go to a monastery, to a Benedictine monastery of men in Normandy, and the, the whole month of August. And um, at the end of the month, I decided to stay. Mm. I decided to join the monastery. And so uh, <coughs> it was in October 1988. Wow. Wow, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, um, tell me a bit about Benedictine. What does it mean to be a Benedictine monk? What is the Benedictine spirituality? Oh, it's 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 interesting because uh, I think that that um, if 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 you if you were asking the question to to Saint Benedict himself, uh, he would say uh, to be a Benedictine monk is just to be a baptized somebody who follows Christ. And that's what, at, at, at its core, what is monastic life about? It's somebody who wants to follow Christ and to be a Christian. There are things which are specific to monastic life. And, and, uh, and I think that, uh, let, let's say, th three, three words which are very important for, for a Benedictine identity. Uh, in order to be a Benedictine monk, I need to, be, uh, to live in a community. I need to pray. And I need to work. And what is interesting is that the three elements, prayer, work, and community life, are in fact essential for all Christians. You cannot be a Christian if you are not part of a community, if you do not pray, and if you do not work. And that's what monastic life is, is about. Is, is, uh, all the, 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 the elements of monastic life are here to help me to follow Christ, and to, 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 to pray, to live a life of prayer, to, to, to live in a community, to be with brothers, and, and, and to work. Mm. So that's what monastic life at its heart is, is about. Mm. Mm. Um, and what is it like for you living in community? Like, um, I've heard you talk about community, and uh, yeah, and I, it's, it's, uh, it, I think... When I bring a group of 20, I think usually at the end of it, half of them are ready to sign up, you know? Although I think if they, you know, they, they won't last too long, but they, they, you, it, there's something very uh, attractive about how you describe it, even though you're very real about the challenges of community. Yeah, I, I think that normally if you, if you ask a, a normal monk what is the most difficult thing in his life, uh, he should answer community life. But if you ask the same monk what is the most beautiful thing in his life, I think that he should answer community life. Because to live in a community is difficult. Uh, it's, it's challenging. It's because, let's be clear, in the community, I am always right. <laughs> they are always wrong, you know. Uh, and and so if you begin like that, mm. it it makes life very mm. complicated, mm. and life is is difficult because we 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 work, we pray, we we journey together. We uh, there are brothers here. I've journeyed with them for twenty, thirty years now, and so um, to to accept and to love them as they are is very difficult. 
but the, 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 the beautiful thing is, and, and that's something I have to be reminded very regularly, is that I have experienced how much they love me and they respect me and they welcome me as I am. And that has been the most beautiful experience in my life. To, to be able to journey with men uh, for, for 30 years or, and, and to discover that, yes, uh, they accept me, they respect me and they love me with my faults, with my limitations, with my sin, with my poverty. And that's an amazing experience to be loved in such a way. Yeah. And, um, and the monastery itself, I, I know, is it one of the rules of St. Benedict that everyone who comes to your door you treat as Jesus, is that? Is, yeah, that's in, 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 in his rule, St. Benedict, in his chapter on the guests, he says all those who come to, monastery, to the monastery have to be welcomed like Christ. And I think that's, that's the greatest challenge. It's for my brothers, and in, my, in my relationship with my brothers, is, is, is to, look, to be able to look at them in a new way every day. And every day to discern Christ in them. And, and, and it's difficult because, let's be honest, it, we, we, all, uh, uh, we would all be ready to welcome a Christ who is just a glorified image of myself. You know, uh, a white, intelligent, polite, well-educated, French, Catholic Christ. You know, that's, that's wonderful. I have no problem with that. Uh, but to discern Christ in somebody who disagrees with me, who thinks differently, who worships differently, who, you know, that's challenging. And that's what community life is about, is to discern Christ in, in people who may disagree with me and may think differently. And that's, that's the challenge of community life. And I think that's the challenge of our Christian lives and our relationships with our Christian brothers and sisters from other denominations. Are we able to see Christ in them? Because if you see Christ in somebody, that means that this person is a blessing for you. That, that means that, very personally, I have to receive something from this person. As, as a Catholic, am I ready? Am I willing? to receive something from a Protestant guy? Am I, do I think that I need to receive something from a Protestant guy? <laughs> and that's the challenge. Dude, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's so, <laughs> it's so what, uh, so good to feel uh, self-satisfied, you know? I do not need anybody. It's, it's a very good feeling. And so to realize that, no, I have to receive something from this brother, even if I don't agree with him, or even if I don't like him, that's quite a mm. challenge. Mm. I remember the first, I think the first time I brought a group here, I was trying to explain, you know, Brother Thierry, most of us here would be from a Protestant background, and, and you said straight away, well, <laughs> not everyone is perfect. <laughs> uh, so, but... Um, yeah, no, I've always felt very welcomed, and and I think many Protestants do, which is is uh, is a real testament to how you are welcoming here in this community. Um, uh, I remember, and I shared this, I think, in an interview on Radio Ulster recently, um, at the funeral of Father Jerry Reynolds, who was a, a redemptorist priest in Belfast on the Falls Road, which is for those of you listening who are not familiar with the Northern Irish conflict, the Falls Road was, you know, one of the kind of the epicenter places of the conflict. And, and Father Jerry was an amazing peacemaker and a, a real godly man. And uh, at, his, uh, at his funeral, they said about him, um, in fact, I think it was originally, uh, uh, originally said about Paul Couturier, who was a, uh, one of the early uh, ecumenists in the early 20th century, but they said Father Jerry was like a man that came from the future. And I was asked uh, on, the, on the radio, why did I interview Father Mark, you know, the prior of this monastery? And I was thinking about it, and I, I reflected on that, what was said about Father Jerry, that he was like a man that came from the future. And in a way, I kind of sometimes think when I come here, like if you, obviously those of you listening can't see <laughs> Brother Thierry, but he's, you know, wearing white robes. I mean, technically you're probably not wearing much different than what a monk would have been wearing five thousand years ago. I didn't, you know, 
and so in one sense, you could say you've come from the past. Uh, but I kind of feel like in a way, there's a way in which what you model here is almost like it's it's from the future. It's in a you live in a world where we're not obsessed with, and of course we're all human. But it feels like there's a, a intentional desire to live in a way where you're not obsessed with the the tribal politics of the day, with the uh, the latest um, the latest headline news. You know, uh, there's a deeper sense of you're going to live in a way without walls, and you're going to live. Um, in a way that maybe we should all be aspiring to. Um, what's your kind of reflection on that? I, I think that that you know, and 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 I and I have to say that with uh, great humility because we don't do it perfectly here in Rostrevor in the monastery. But when you try to live according to the gospel, there is no past or future or present. The values of the gospel are, are, are eternal, and 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 I think that if 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 you try to love, if you if you know, we try to 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 create a place which is shaped by the word of God, where we try to make God visible. That does not, you know, it's not a question of future or past. It's just. We are in God's time, and and it's eternal. You know, it does not depend on on. And yes, we, I am dressed like a guy in the eleventh century, and and I sing in Latin. Uh, but um, it doesn't really matter, you know. And and I think that that maybe is is a big problem for 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 many of our brothers and sisters at the moment. Is that it's it's very difficult to distinguish between what is essential. And what is not essential, and there are things which are not essential. The fact that I am dressed like a guy from the 11th century, or that I think in Latin, is good. It's nice. It's it means something to me. But it's not essential. What is essential is that I try to follow Christ. I try to love. I try to serve my brothers and sisters. And yeah, that's that's the most important thing. You know, if you begin to fight or to focus on things which are uh, not essential. Yes, you, you can waste a lot of time and energy uh, on, on the, you know, uh, I, I remember a few months ago, uh, you know, there were some people who were, who, I, I had a very uh, difficult conversation with some young Protestant people about the translation of the Bible. And it was essential for them that you read the King James Version, you know. And I was thinking, my goodness me, Thierry, do you really want to, to waste your time fighting on, 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 on this question? Is it really essential? I'm not sure. I don't think. You know, there are more important questions. And, and maybe we can work, work, you know, and, and on them, you know. But we have to go to what is essential, uh, and particularly at the moment where we are uh, bombarded with so many informations and so many things, you know, and news and headlines and, and things which, which at the end, we have to ask ourselves, is it really important? Does it really uh, uh, matter? You know? And, and is it really worth putting all our energy in, in things which are not necessary? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, um, I think that's very important nowadays. I mean, I, I very much identify with uh, being bombarded every day with a Twitter feed and uh, uh, lots of news and lots of opinions about news. Um, uh, and it is hard to find that deeper simplicity. So we'll talk in just a minute about prayer and what that means to you. But um, maybe first of all, uh, just talking, staying on the kind of the Benedictine um, your Benedictine community and way of life, and uh, how do you see the relevance of that today? To today, you know, to someone who's a 2019 punter, <laughs> as we would call it, walking down the road, uh, what is the way of life that you live? How is it relevant? And how can I, as someone who's not a monk, I mean, I kind of have been imbibing that from you already, and saying that it's very simple we have to follow Christ, but. Um, there's some thoughts about that, about how your way of life can kind of impact today's society. I think that, that uh, making a link with what I just said about 
what is essential and what is not essential is that we are maybe our main goal, our main ministry is to remind people of what is really important and the values of living in a community, relating to people with respect, uh, being simple, living simple lives. So uh, having a, a, a another kind of relationship with money, with power, with authority, um, um, taking time in silence, uh, the, the, the discipline of listening, uh, the discipline of attentiveness to others and to the world, they are essential values. They are things, and that's maybe what we have to say to the world, you know. And maybe, I hope, it's what they see when they look at us, you know. Yes, there is something different here. We go deeper. We, we don't remain at the surface. At, at least we try. <laughs> uh, but that's maybe what, what I think... Uh, uh, and, and I think that's why when groups from YWAM or from... Uh, from other places come here, young people particularly, that's what they see. You know, you, you discover that uh, happiness, peace, uh, uh, contentment uh, do not depend on, on, on an iPad or an iPhone or, or money or a credit card or, or, or whatever, you know, a new car, or, but of how I relate to myself, how I relate to God, how I relate to others, that's essential. <laughs> and, 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 and I think that young people, uh, particularly, but all people who come here, uh, that's what they realize. That's what they see. Yes, there is another way. There is another way. Because the world at the moment and, and society, it's, it's very tough. Life is very tough. You know, the, the, the pace is, is very fast. Uh, uh, and people are always running, and 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 suddenly they hit the wall, and they want to. What my life? What my life is about? You know what? What is it? What is happening? You know, and when they come here, um, they realize that yes, it's possible to uh, to live differently, and to connect with really what is important. couple of things uh we'd love you to do that would really help us to develop these podcasts one is by leaving a review and a rating uh especially if you're on itunes that's where a lot of people find these podcasts and it just helps more people find them if you leave reviews and if you can rate them that would be great and the other thing of course as we'll remind you every episode is our patreon site um we'd love every episode to just be getting a couple more uh, followers that come along and and help support the work that we're doing. And if you do that, then it also helps um, us to develop more content. And it also means you'll have access to uh, unseen content, stuff that we don't necessarily have out there in public domain. And so it's just a way to not only support us, but also get access to unseen footage and of, of, of the film that we'll be making or of the podcast we're recording. Thanks very much for your support. I've uh, come here a couple of times on retreat, uh, and I'm always struck by the quietness and slowness of life in a good way. Um, I, I remember even last week, we were meant to record this podcast uh, last week, and then I woke up on the morning and realized I had about triple booked myself and uh, wrote a letter of apology to Brother Thierry, and, uh, you know, I'm sorry I couldn't come because I have this other thing and this other thing. And he said, you are forgiven. <laughs> and then you said, um, and just remember today to breathe, you know? And I was like, oh. was, even in an email, I was struck by, 
oh, I'm very, you know, it's like being mirrored with your opposite, opposite or something, you know, just realizing I was frantically running around. And and I, I think, you, yeah, I, I'm always touched by that and the importance of that. Um, I wonder if we could talk a bit about <clears throat> prayer. Because I think prayer means different things to many people, obviously, of all faiths. and um, But especially, some, I was kind of brought up in a let's just call I hate giving myself labels, but let's call it a kind of charismatic evangelical background. And prayer was often um, a lot of talking to God and often asking him for things, um, telling him you're sorry for things, and then asking him for everything <laughs> under the sun, you know, and, uh, and, and talking, talking, talking. Um, and there is a, a sense among charismatics that it's important to be quiet and have a quiet time. And but even in that quiet time, it's often, you know, the, the discipline is how to when you're quiet to ask God stuff, you know, to talk. And and I was I'm struck by uh, your approach to prayer, which I guess let's just call it contemplative prayer, um, is is quieter and it's about listening um, and it's about being still. Uh, and it, I think it becomes, it's more and more uh, people from all, uh, certainly in the Christian faith, I think are being impacted by the, the kind of contemplative prayer, the kind of the need for it or what it is. And so I wonder if you could talk a bit about it. And I guess rela- I feel like, uh, just to kind of talk, <laughs> to keep waffling on a little bit, but uh, I remember... Uh, you know, Father Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan, uh, he has the Center for Contem- Contemplation and Action. And it's kind of connecting these two things, c- contemplative prayer and action. And I suppose part of the heart of our film that we've made and these podcasts is helping people to be activists for peace, activists for reconciliation, activists for a faith that's healthy and whole. Um, but if we're so busy trying to do the stuff, but it's coming out of, uh, there's not something grounded there, then maybe we're missing. And I suppose that's where the where prayer comes in. And where I've probably always, probably in the last 15 years, struggled with prayer a wee bit, you know, because it's, I'm tired of just to- asking God for stuff. And I, I've, there's almost like you've lost something deeper. Um, I wonder, could you just talk for... I mean, you did a one-hour talk here on contemplative prayer. I mean, you could probably do a week on it. But could you just give give us about 10 minutes of, you know, what is contemplative prayer and what is prayer? And So first, yes, you're right. The, the meaning of the word prayer is, is just so, you know, there are many, as many definitions of what prayer is as there are people, you know, so... You, uh, but for, for, for me, and, 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 and in the Christian tradition and in my Benedictine tradition, it's clear that prayer is being in relationship with God. That's the, the, the deepest meaning of, of prayer, being in relationship with God. And if it's being in relationship with God, that means that, and St. Benedict is very clear about that, Wherever I am, whatever I do, I am praying. I am supposed to pray. Saint, for Saint Benedict, you are in the kitchen, you are in the garden, you are in the church, you are with people, you are, you are praying as long as you do it in the presence of God. And so f- f- the, the deepest meaning of prayer is very encompassing of, of, of the whole of life. Because my whole life should be a prayer. My whole life should be lived in the presence of God. In this context of of, uh, whole life, which is prayer, which is a prayer, like in the human relationships, there are different uh, aspects. You know, there are times when I am in the church uh, singing psalms. There are times when I am in my room uh, meditating on scriptures. There are times when I am with guests. There are times when I am cleaning bathrooms and toilets. There are times when I am in the kitchen. There, and all these times have to be uh, connected and 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 bathed in an atmosphere of prayer. I think that 
the first thing which which uh, or maybe the second thing now which should be said about prayer is that uh, if it's about my life uh, i have to be truthful and it's why i am a bit reluctant you know where and you said about you know uh, be still you know about stillness and people you know oh, i want to be still in the presence of the lord you know or the psalm and everything okay yes that's good but um Prayer is about me being in relationship with God. So if I am not still, if I am in trouble, if I am worried, if I carry some, if I am in pain, that can be prayer too. I, prayer is not only the stillness, you know, the, the good, peaceful atmosphere, you know. It's truth. It's about who I am. I bring the whole of who I am in, in, in my relationship with God. And so, uh, if, if, Yes, and, and I think that it's important, you know. I, I saw and, and I met some people who are, you know, who want to be absolutely still in the presence of the Lord while they are carrying a heavy burden. I say, no, bring your burden. <laughs> you know, it's because God wants to meet you. He wants to meet the real guy. He doesn't want to meet an ideal or, you know, as you should be or as you would like to be. No, but God wants to meet you <laughs> as you are, where you are on the journey. And maybe he will lead you somewhere else. <laughs> but first, he meets you where you are. It's a bit like Jesus with the two disciples on the way to Emmaus, you know. They are downcast, they are lost, and it's clear. And God, in Jesus Christ, meets them there. So, the, I think that it's important to, to stress this aspect of truth in prayer. It's about my relationship with God. So it's about who I am, where I am, as I am. Not an ideal theory or, you know, the guy I would like to be. The third thing, maybe, which I could say uh, about prayer is, is, and about contemplation and contemplative prayer. The danger with this expression, contemplative prayer, is to imagine that, uh, oh, it's just me having a vision of God, you know, and just being in, in kind of clouds, you know, and, and it's nice and cozy. Uh, why not? It may happen. I don't know. <laughs> if it happens to you, it's good, you know. Um, but um, for me, this idea of contemplative prayer is me being so much in love and so much in the presence of God that I am able to see all things and all people as he sees them. That's contemplation. is to see God, and as I said earlier, you know, and to see Christ everywhere. That's contemplation for me. And that's what a, a contemplative prayer should do, is to... to, to, to to, to, to create a, a situation where I am so much full of God, full of his presence, uh, in love with him, that I see everything as he sees them. As I see, as I, am, I become able to see him everywhere, because God is everywhere, <coughs> and he is in all people. That's contemplation for me. That I am transformed uh, in such a way that um, in a way, uh, yes, I, I, again, I say it, you know, I see the world and all people as God sees them. That's contemplation for me. And I think it's why, personally, I am always very, you know, all of these healing uh, scenes in, 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 in the Gospels, you know, about the, the blind man, you know, Lord, that I may see. That's the I think a very important question for us, you know, and, and that's what prayer should do. And maybe the last thing I'm able to say about prayer is, is and what you mentioned about uh, contemplation and action, is that uh, there is no, you know, prayer is transformative. Or it is not prayer. And it's not transformative only for myself. It's because I am transformed, I transform the world. Because I am changed, because I am converted, the world is different. And so I think that we cannot, in a Christian perspective, separate uh, 
prayer from action and, and transformation of the world. Uh, and, and um, you know, uh, just to show... To, to show off my, my knowledge of Latin and uh, you know in, it's it's very important because in 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 and it's true and it's particularly important for us Christians because it's true in Hebrew in Greek and in Latin you know you have the same root for the word to listen and to obey and it's true in English because when you say obedience in English you say ob audire and audire is to listen so obedience so for us. The, the act of listening, the act of being present to God is always uh, linked with an action and an obedience. An act. We are called to be a listening people because we are called to be an obedient people. So prayer and action go together. And, and it's why, in, uh, I come back to St. Benedict, in, 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 in the rule, there is no distinction between prayer and work. And when St. Benedict speaks about prayer, he speaks about the work of God. <laughs> so, the two were, for St. Benedict, the two things, and, and I think that's the, uh, a very uh, Christian intuition. Yeah. I remember uh, hearing Richard Rohr talk about his center and saying when they first started running kind of uh, courses or something, it was about 50% teaching about contemplation and 50% about action. But uh, he said as they have proceeded over the years, it's become more 60 prayer, 40, you know, 70% prayer, you know, 80%, you know. Um, because, and I, I and listening to you, it it does strike me how, how busy we are in the world and how we don't listen. We don't listen to God. We don't listen to each other, really. We listen to our own desires and our own fears. Um, and then we obey those fears and obey those desires. Um, and the the act of kind of being deeper, deep, more deeply rooted in a, in a stream of spiritual life is something that is so lacking, I think, for many of us. Even those like me who... Um, uh, you know, you're, I'm in full-time Christian ministry in the film. I say, you know, professional Christian. My 10-year-old loves to use that against me now. <laughs> he says, but Dad, you're meant to be a professional Christian. I'm like, oh, I wish I hadn't used that phrase in the film. And now my son will probably use it against me till the day I die, <laughs> unless I stop being a professional Christian. But, you know, I remember just while we're kind of staying on this kind of thing of prayer, I remember when I brought a group here of leaders um, maybe a year ago, one of the questions I asked afterwards was, um, about in prayer, uh, they always get sidetracked by thoughts come to their mind and other things. And yeah, I think you had a very helpful response to that because I think that is a very universal phenomenon. You go, oh, I should pray. You pray and you immediately think of a shopping list or the thing that you need to get, get done or, or a concern or a worry or, you know. How do you respond to that kind of... Distractions in prayer, that's the big thing, you know, mm -hmm. we are all uh, struggling with that. Um, the first thing is that, and, and I repeat, you know, God wants to meet with me, okay, where I am, as I am. So, if I decide to have a time of, of meditation of scriptures, you know, and, and personal quiet time of prayer, you know, um, and suddenly there are thoughts which distraction and which come to my mind, the first thing is that, these things which come to, to, to my mind say something about me. Most of the time, uh, either they are completely trivial and so, or, or they mean something. They are important. And if they are important to me, they are important to God. So, uh, if you run away from them, normally what's going to happen is that they will run after you and you will spend your time running, and you won't pray, and it's a waste of time. So the first thing to do is not to run away, to bury, or to ignore. The first thing is to acknowledge. Yes, I have this thought about whatever it is, work, relationship, whatever. I have this thought. This thought. Uh, if, if you are in prayer, 
if you, if, if you have decided to, to have a time of prayer, it matters to God, so bring it to him. Make it transform the thought into a prayer. Offer it to God. You know, uh, it, and then you decide to go back to what you decided to do at the first, you know, to, to read scriptures and to, the thought will come back. You do it again. You offer it to God. Um, I think that, that if, if it's really a, a, a big issue and if it comes back, it's important to talk about it with somebody. But in the context of prayer, I think that we have to acknowledge that all the, you know, the, the only time when there will be no thoughts at all, it's when you are dead. <laughs> so, it's, it's, you know, we have to be humble about it. We are human beings. So there will be, always be thoughts and distraction. The problem is, what do you do with them? So, and, 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 and I think that the first thing to do is to acknowledge them, not to dialogue with them, not to enter into a dialogue with them, but to acknowledge the thought and then to make a prayer with it, you know, to transform it into a prayer. And then to go back to the in, initial decision, you know, and what... And, and I think that it's, 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 it's a kind of discipline. And, you know, the more you do it, the more regularly you do it, the more, the easier it will become, you know. And 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 suddenly, the, I think that the, the most um, beautiful thing which can happen is that at the end, and I don't know when is the end, but at one stage, you will discover that everything which comes to you becomes a prayer, and so you are praying, and that's the the, the goal, you know. And all my life, all everything which is part of my life and the things which are good and the, th the bad thoughts, the good thoughts, everything becomes a prayer, become a prayer. And that's, mm. that's good. Yeah, I was struck by um, what uh, I think this sense of like not pushing something down to try to ignore it. And that when you do that, it, it, it almost it's, it becomes bigger and yeah. more powerful. And so it's something is the power of it is taken away when you actually bring it out into the open. When you, when as you say, you you turn it into a prayer. You you address that issue. You know, whether it's a distraction or a desire or a, a fear or or whatever. Just to and it, I've found since you've said that it's a remarkable the number of times that principle in life. I've I've found myself coming back to it. You know, if when things are hidden or things are stuffed down, they have power, you know, it's like, there's a grab, it's like a magnetic pull to this thing. And just, and I remember talking to someone the other day and just saying, if it was some kind of issue, I said, bring, bring it out, bring it into the open, talk about it, you know? Um, I think, yeah, it's, it, it's kind of profound in a way. Yeah. But it's biblical, you know, yeah. it's the first thing, the first yeah. gift mm. God gave to Adam. And, and it's an amazing gift was to name a creation. And, and when you name, you own in the Bible. Mm. When you, and for us to verbalize our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, is a way to own them. Mm. And psychology teaches us that if you don't own your feelings, the feelings own you. <laughs> and for us, the way to own our feelings and our emotions is to verbalize them. And that's the gift God gave us in, you know, gave to Adam, you know, to verbalize, to name creation. And it's why in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you know, there, there is, we don't have the name of God because we don't own God. Oh, well. So it's, 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 you know, it's good psychology, but before being good psychology for us Christians, it's good biblical teaching. You know? <laughs> You'd make a good Protestant. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> I take it as a compliment. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about um, reconciliation. Let's, uh, and obviously from a, a spiritual perspective or a church perspective, we, um, the Protestant and Catholic Church, um, uh, are not one <laughs> to state the obvious, neither the Orthodox Church. 
um, there was a schism, and then there was a Reformation, and then and ever since the in the Protestant world, we've been uh, schisming off each other for you know five hundred years, um, and obviously you're very Catholic here in this monastery, but you live in a way very intentionally to 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 try to be at peace with those who come from traditions that wouldn't be your own. And uh, why is that important to you? And how do you do that? I think that if, as you said, we are very Catholic, (laughs) Um, we are very Catholic because we are very ecumenical Mm. to be truly a Catholic. I believe is to be a really engaged in ecumenism dialogue. You know, and, and I don't say that only on my own, uh, you know, uh, inspiration. All the popes uh, since Paul the uh, since the, after the Second Vatican Council, have said that ecumenism is the first priority of the Catholic Church. Um, I, I think that um, for, for me, it's this this idea that uh, it is possible to be a Catholic without being in relationship, in dialogue with brothers and sisters from other denominations is, is, is absurd. I need you, I need Protestant people, I need people who are different from me uh, in order to be myself truly a Catholic. To be challenged in my faith, to be purified, to be, uh, to be helped, to be truly a follower of Christ. Um, uh, uh, Repeating something I already said, you know, um, if you are Christ, you know, um, you have something to give me and I have something uh, to receive from you. And for me to say, no, I don't want to receive from you means that I am not ready to receive from Christ. How can I say that I am a Catholic if I say that? So, for me, it's 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 just uh, uh, it's 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 essential. It's uh, to 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 be in relationship with one another. And you know, at the end, I believe that God will not ask me. Uh, did you agree with everybody, or do you, uh, you know? But he will ask me at the end, did you love? And, and it's not me, it's St. John of the Cross who said, at the end we will be judged on love. You know? At the end, God will ask me, did you love this guy? And, and, and for me, to love means to respect, to welcome, to care for, to, to journey with. And, and, and so that's the... the the root of, of, of our ecumenical vocation here in Rostrevel. We want to be Christian, we want to be Catholic, and so we have to be ecumenical. And, and I think that here the, the, the Benedictine uh, um, intuition is important because the, the most important chapter in the rule of St. Benedict, uh, it's the chapter 7 on humility. And I think that that's the, 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 the main problem at a spiritual level. It's pride. It's this feeling of self-sufficiency, I don't need you. I can do it on my own. And that's the big problem for our churches. Yeah. And um, so the, the leader of your community, or the prior, is Father Mark, and he's from North Belfast. <clears throat> uh, and uh, I wonder if you can just quickly then tell us what led... Father Mark and yourselves to come to Northern Ireland. Obviously, it was this call uh, somehow to come to a, 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 a area of conflict uh, and to be uh, a presence of peace in this place. How did that calling happen? And what was the, you know, just quickly, what was the, when did that happen? And you moved over here and then and now we're here. So you said quickly, the, yeah, story, yeah. Be- the story begins in 1034, <laughs> but you, you won't have the whole story. Uh, no, the story begins in 1034 because we come from a monastery which was founded in 1034 in Normandy, the Abbey of Beck. And, and um, in the 11th and 12th centuries, this community had uh, 
a very, very strong relationship with England because of William being in England and archbishops. And a monk of Beck, Anselm, in 1093, became Archbishop of Canterbury. So, the, 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 since the 11th century, the, 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 there has been a, a very strong relationship between Canterbury and the Abbey of Beck. And so the Abbey of Beck is engaged in, in ecumenical dialogue with the Anglican Communion and, and, and uh, with the Protestant churches in France. So we come from a community where ecumenism is important. In, in 19... Uh, uh, so I, I must try to be precise about the dates, uh, which is very difficult for me. Uh, in 1979, Father Mark joined the Abbey of Beck in France, from Belfast. Um, in 1981, Pope John Paul visited Canterbury, and it was the first visit of a pope to Canterbury since Reformation, and so big meeting between Pope, pope John Paul and Archbishop Runcie, the primate of the Anglican Communion at that time. And, and the abbot of our community was invited to be present at the meeting. And was also present at the meeting uh, Cardinal Ophi, who was the Archbishop of Armagh. And when uh, Abbot Paul uh, met uh, Cardinal Ophi, he felt that uh, maybe that's the sign that we have to do something in a church which is suffering, in a place where there is suffering. And so he came back to the Abbey of Beck and he spoke with Father Mark and with Brother Eric. And he said, maybe you should go to Northern Ireland in order to be a prayerful presence in Northern Ireland. So between 83 and 87, Father Mark and Brother Eric were in Northern Ireland near Downpatrick in, with the mission to pray with and for the people of Northern Ireland. In 87, they were called back to, to Beck. And, and there, there was a date, a date I never remember, but I think it's 1995, I'm not sure. Pope John Paul wrote a letter uh, to all the monks throughout the world and asking us to go where ecumenism is difficult. And the abbot general of our monastic family came to Beck in 1997 and said, maybe it's time for you to go back to Northern Ireland. And we were five to say, yes, we want to go. And so we arrived here in January 1998 with a mission to pray and to work for peace and reconciliation uh, in the body of Christ. Mm. Wow. And so in the timeline, 98 was... Uh, the the troubles were still going. The Good Friday Agreement, obviously the first half of 98, was that the peace agreement that really um, changed everything here in many ways. Um, so it was a significant kind of time that you came. But of course, we still have peace walls and we've still had occasional violence over the years. And the, the sense of... Um, yeah, conflict in, in Northern Ireland is still very much present. It's just not manifested in car bombs and shootings anymore. It's, um, but it's still uh, deep down. And so um, you have, uh, you know, come into that environment and I think been a very helpful kind of um, uh, presence. You've brought something that just wouldn't be here, um, which I think is very helpful. Um, I, you've got, I'm sure, many stories of meeting well, meeting lots of people. Um, I was going to, I want to ask you just if, if there's a couple of stories that maybe help people to latch on to this sense of how you've related to Protestants, people who would believe very differently from you. Um, although I, I remember a very funny story you tell of uh, um, your accent and someone who said, thought that you were from Cork. What was that? What, yeah. yeah. Uh, one day I was uh, on duty and uh, the door of the monastery and an elderly man, a farmer came um, and, and with a very strong Northern Irish farmer accent. And um, so he spoke and, and, and at the end I said a few words and um, uh, before leaving, he, he just, uh, he looked at me and he said, um, Father, are you from Cork? And, 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 I, and, and I thought once second, you know, I, I thought, what? Yeah, it's wonderful. You have an Irish accent. <laughs> you know, you've lost your French accent. And, 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 and I said, no, I'm sorry. I am from Paris. I am French. And so there was a silence. And then he said to me, I don't understand people from Cork. <laughs> so it, suddenly it was good to be reminded that, yes, I have still a French action, yeah, accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. yeah. But so you get all kinds of people. Um, how can you kind of 
maybe single out one or two moments where you've where this calling to peace and reconciliation you've realized you're kind of living in it through an encounter you've had with someone I think that that the the first uh, the first really moving and deep experience we had was on the day of the inauguration of the monastery uh, on the eve of the of the blessing and inauguration of the monastery we organized a, a service of, of 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 repentance and and uh, the first person to preach in our church on that evening was uh, archbishop um, george carey former archbishop of canterbury and and um, it was uh, it was striking because in the congregation the church was packed and uh, there was his wife um, Lady Carey, and beside his wife was um, uh, where uh, first uh, a son of a, whose father had been killed by the IRA, and was also uh, um, Maurice. Mag- I think it's Maurice McGoldrick, whose son had been yeah, killed. Michael McGoldrick. Michael, yeah, sorry, yeah. Michael McGoldrick, <laughs> whose son was killed by the um, uh, loyalist paramilitaries. Um, and and for us, uh, this image of of uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Lord and Lady Carey, you know, representing the uh, British ex- establishment, you know, and and these people seated side by side in the church, and 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 praying together, and it was really a powerful image, you know. Uh, and on on that same evening, we had so Michael McGoldrick spoke about his journey, and we had our, our great friend um, Bert Armstrong, a Methodist minister whose brother and sister-in-law were killed in the Enniskillen bombing, and and Bert spoke about his journey and and how uh, at the funeral of his brother and, and sister-in-law he preached about reconciliation and 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 about forgiveness, and and for us it was really a, a powerful event and a very. Um, you know, very moving experience. Uh, another very uh, in, interesting and, and and experience. You know, um, we have a, a very, we have a very good relationship with uh, uh, a joint Methodist Church of Ireland congregation in Monkstown, in a very working class loyalist area of Belfast. You know, and and. Uh, one day I was in the church and, and a group came from Monkstown to, to, to the monastery and there was a, a, a man from the congregation and he was seated in the church and, 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 I, and I went and I greeted him and, and, um, and he said to me, you know, uh, for me to be seated like that in, the, in a Catholic church, it's quite unusual, you know. Uh, I'm not used to that, you know. Uh, but he said to me, the, the, the peace we find here is important, and and coming from this man, you know, being in, in seated like that in in the Catholic Church, you know, in, in of our monastery, you know, uh, and saying, you know, the fi- the peace we find here is important was such a word of encouragement for us, because yes, we have to, as we were told, you know, on the on the on the day of the inauguration, we have to create, our desire is to create a space where people feel at peace and feel welcome. And that was a, a, a very beautiful word of encouragement. Yeah. So um, usually the man behind the microphone on these podcasts is Fra Sands, who's, who uh, helps to edit them all and make them sound beautiful. Um, so I thought uh, Fra has been up in the monastery a number of times over the years, and I wonder if, if uh, Fra, we could hear your voice, your lyrical tones, uh, and uh, if you've got a question for that we could finish with, with Brother Thierry. I don't know if it's a question. I suppose just like listening throughout the, this conversation and just the role of the monastery here. Um, I've come a couple of times and spoken to you a couple of times, and you've helped me through some difficult situations so thank you for that thank you for your availability for that and I suppose my question is is that a role of the monastery here that that's purposeful or is it more something that has been a need in the community that people have been able to come here and receive some just somebody to talk to and 
No, I think that it's 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 really it's really part of of the monastic intuition. It's because we are a place where we um, we create an atmosphere of silence. Uh, it becomes a place where people can come and um, speak. They are listened to. You know, I, I had a, a few years ago. I went. I was invited to talk uh, in CFC Belfast uh, to talk to a group of young people. And before the talk, there was a time with cup of tea and coffee and biscuits. You know, uh, and and um, I, I. So we were chatting. You know, in the background there was music. It was Christian music, so it was good music, uh, let's say. But uh, it was very loud. And I was talking with a guy, and it was very difficult for me to hear what he was saying. And it was clear that he wanted to say something important. But I could not hear him. And, and I thought, you know, if, if, if you want people to meet, if you want people to, to really listen to one another, you need to create an atmosphere of silence. And I think that you and, and many other people come here because they know what, that when they arrive here, somebody will be available to listen to them and to listen to them uh, with respect and attention and care and you know and and so that's why monasteries I think attract people and we why we have so many people coming here uh, you know with the desire to talk about their lives to 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 and you know and you live as I said earlier you know you live in a world which is so noisy that it's difficult for you to to hear others and to hear God and to hear yourself so, very often the first thing we have to do with people who want to come here, you know, is just to breathe and just let's listen to what's happening, you know? And people speak, you know? And, and that's why I think uh, people come here, because they know that somebody will be here to listen to them. Good. Thank you. Uh, we're going to uh, also just record a couple of... Um, uh, some of the chanting that you do in the church, uh, the psalms, singing psalms, and um, can you just tell us a couple of? I don't know if you know what you're about to sing, and what what are the scriptures for today or the psalms or. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, you need no, to I, I, uh, what 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 I can tell you is that we sing um, Gregorian chants, so we sing in Latin. Mm. Uh, it's it's very, you know. It's scriptures in Latin, okay? So for us, the, the difficulty is that for me, it's, it's a prayer. I pray it when I sing it. For, for, for many people in the congregation, or, uh, you know, we, we give the translation before the piece we are singing, you know, but very often people don't hear it or don't pay attention to it. So, uh, but it's what I said to, to, to people, don't worry too much about the fact that you don't understand. Uh, just enjoy the beauty, just connect with God, you know. And, and beauty itself is a place of meeting with God. So, because the temptation is, very often we come to the services with our head, you know, and we want to understand and we want to analyze and we want to, to you know. Yes, it's important to understand, it's important to think, it's important, uh, but sometimes it's also important just to be there, to enjoy the beauty, to enjoy the pose, to enjoy what's happening, you know? And that can be prayer. Mm. Okay. Well, um, our time is, uh, is up. I, w I wish we could talk some more, but maybe we'll do it again. Um, but uh, thanks, Brother Thierry, for your time. And uh, thanks for the witness of this monastery, and, uh, of the brothers and yourself and Father Mark. And uh, I think you, yeah, you, in a, you, sh you show how we can change the world by valuing the individual and by going deep and not just living on the surface and filling our life with an abundance of activity. Um, and, uh, and I think that's really transformational. And uh, so thanks for your contribution to these podcasts, but also to this society we live in. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jenny. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you. Fra. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>